golf mindset. And the first one I got, I opened up and looked at it, and my first thought was, this reminds me of Seven Days of Utopia. I don't know if you guys have read that book, Seven Days of Utopia. It's a life skill sport associated to golf and life. And this is what they do, okay? Golf mindset teaches sport mindset, golf mindset specifically, but it is a life skill that they do. They're gonna get involved and it's gonna be uh, Gene Zanetti, Zanetti, right? Gene Zanetti will speak to us about the golf mindset. As you guys know, golf is not that much of a physical sport. When you get good, it's all mental. If any of you were at the tournament yesterday, I watched both boys and girls mentally, you know, they're going head to head, different variety, you know, match play, metal play, whatever it is, it's a mental game. And this is what these folks do. So please welcome them to our coaches. All right, it's time to get the mental edge. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. So I'm just like you, I was a coach back in college. I competed, I was a wrestler. I competed from elementary school right through college around the coaching uh, at Springfield College. My two master's degrees, one's in clinical psychology, one's in sports psychology. Um, we worked with the Olympic team, we worked with some of the top UFC fighters, we worked with teams of all sports around the country. Basically, we take a lot of the toughest people in the world and we make them even tougher. And anyone who's ever golfed obviously knows how tough that is. Probably some of the most mentally tough athletes there are out there. So we get what it's like being in your shoes. I know what it's like relating to athletes, literally from youth level right through professional, right? So we, our goal is the same as yours. We want to bring out the best in these athletes. We want to maximize their performance in golf, in school, and in life, right? So confidence is confidence. Mental toughness is mental toughness. Doesn't matter if, you know, doesn't matter if you're playing. Doesn't matter if you're taking the SATs, your kids. Doesn't matter if um, you're saying no to drugs or peer pressure. Doesn't matter if they're in a job interview in the future. Do they believe in themselves or not? Do they think they can get the job done? Do they focus on the right things? And a lot of times, like all of us, they're human. We focus on the right things some of the time, but we don't focus it right all the time. And that's why we don't have consistent performance. The key word in performance in sports is consistency. Right, and we can't even talk about, I say talk, being from New Jersey. I say talk, walk, coffee, awesome, chocolate. Right, so it might sound a little bit different. Do you guys say tournament or tournament? Tournament. tournament, yeah, I say tournament. T O R N A M. Maybe there is a U in there, right? But in any event, we can't even talk about a consistent performance if we don't first talk about consistent thoughts, consistent emotions, and consistent behaviors. Consistent thoughts, emotions, and behaviors lead to, lead to consistent performance. Make sense? I'm not telling you anything new, right? So it's always better to do something rather than to just think about it. So we need a volunteer. Let's get someone up. Like we said, life's not a spectator sport. You gotta get out there and participate. All right, there we go. So what I'd like you to do right here, this is the flat end, I'd like you to try to balance this on one finger. Look right down there at your finger. Let's try again, let's try again. Same thing, just look, your face in the room so they can see it. Just look right down there at your finger. You can do this with a golf club too. No. <laughs> Don't kill him. All right, now, watch. Now, what we're going to do, same task, but this time I want you to focus on the top. I intentionally misled you. Look at the group. Look at the top. 
A little bit easier. All right, piece of cake. Good, give it a hand. Very good. So what does that show us? In the short 20 seconds between the time where he could do it, or when he couldn't do it from when he could do it, did he get any stronger? Did he get any smarter? Did he, did he, did he get a little smarter? Did he get any better looking? We stayed the same, but what changed? You know where I'm going with this. Your focus. When you, small changes in your focus have huge impacts on the outcome. You already know that as coaches. I'm not telling you anything new. But sometimes when you demonstrate these things to athletes and they're actually physically engaged in the materials, they're going to get more out of it, right? So kids that, you know, a lot of times it goes in one ear, comes out the other, they have to be physically engaged in it. And that's why everything that we've tried to do, we try to make it hands-on, hands-on mindset training where these athletes are doing different activities because otherwise they're not going to remember it. Right? Most athletes are not very theoretical and philosophical. Some are, and a lot of times those athletes are overthinkers. Not always, but sometimes they're overthinkers. But most athletes play a sport because they're hands-on. They need to touch it, taste it, smell it, use the five senses. So we have to get them involved in the materials that we're doing. So that's one of our big goals. So, the training paradox. What percentage of golf, I say this with every group, any sport, doesn't matter who I'm doing, dealing with. First question, what percentage of golf is mental? And what percentage is physical? If you have to say. And look, we could relate this to anything else. We could relate this to technical skills in your career, right? You could, we could relate this to staying in shape, exercise, dieting, right? What percentage is physical and what percentage is mental? Most people will say it's between 50 and 90% mental, especially once you learn, especially once you learn the skills. Right, becomes about you know, 50 to 90% mental. So here's where the training paradox comes in. Second question, how much time do you spend training physically versus mentally? How much time do your athletes spend training physically versus mentally? Well, and everyone's nodding their head. You see, where <laughs> you, see where, you see where I'm going with this? I'm not a mathematician. I was always better at English and history. But I know that something doesn't jive right there. If we're saying the sport's 50% mental, some of us are saying it's 90% mental, you need to be training 50 to 90% mental. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be training physically. In fact, we're telling our athletes all the time, you probably need to do even more physical training, but you can't neglect the mental side of the sport. You just can't. So you have to be training. You gotta got start looking at the best athletes, right? The best athletes, they don't, they don't only train hard, they train smart, right? You hear a lot of athletes or coaches, they'll say, don't train harder, train smarter. But a lot of times they use that as an excuse to slack off. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're saying you don't have to pick train hard or train smart. You gotta do both, right? So when you look at the best, most successful people, you have to think, don't just compare yourself to your friends. You guys know how the bell curve works, right? Most people fall where? In the middle. So if we just follow our friends, if we just follow all the other coaches, where are we likely to end up? In the middle. So we tell our athletes, you gotta start studying the best in the world. How do the best golfers in the world think? Right? How do the most successful students think? How do the happiest people in the world think? How do the richest people in the world think? How do the holiest people in the world think? You've got to be looking at the top. Stop following your friends. And it takes time to do that because they're being trained by society to think a certain way and to just follow the pack. And it's even worse than when we were in school because now they have Facebook, Instagram, you know, Snapchat. Insta they're constantly focusing on what, what's going on around them. So we have to retrain the way they're thinking. And you can see how 
the media, right, TV, advertising, it's, it's all just flooding them with caring about what other people think. So we gotta retrain the way they think. Otherwise, they're gonna keep going down that road to mediocrity. They're gonna tend to fall in the middle. So we need to start studying the best. And there's no doubt about it, the best are training hard and they're training smart. So they're working on their mind and they're working on their body. So it was like this back when I was thinking, oh, this is the sign-in sheet. I guess that's a good reminder. If anyone wants any, informa any more information, we can pass this around as we go. But we just pass that around sign-in. Um, back when I was competing, it was the same thing. Coaches were saying it's so mental, yet we rarely worked on our mindset. I mean, I got back in college, we had sports psychologists come in once or twice. We talked about goal setting, which was great. We did some visual visualization, which was great. But it wasn't as hands-on, wasn't, it wasn't as concrete, it wasn't as specific to the sport. And it was more like, oh, he's a guest speaker. What we want to do is we want to take it, we take this whole thing and we make it part of the team, just like you have your strength training, your, your conditioning, you have your skills training, it's part of it. Your nutrition, mindset is just a part of the whole equation. So when we have that training paradox that I was talking about, we say it's 90% mental, but we're training 90% physical, we tend to see the same mindset red flags. I don't know if some of you get our emails, a show of hands, anyone here get our golf mindset emails? The common mindset red flags, you've seen this post about this, getting the ips, maybe shaking while we're putting, great on the range, we can't bring it to the tee. A lot of times we're giving our opponents, we're, you know, good opponents too much respect, slow starters, overthinking the conditions that we're playing in. We gotta be aware of the conditions, but we can't overthink it, right? So. It's the same thing. We will see those same common mindset red flags until we actually fix the problem. So what a lot of coaches tend to do is they spend more time on the physical. And that's great. You should be spending a lot of time on the physical. But think about it like this. If you have a math test tomorrow, you don't get smarter at math by studying English. Right? You don't get better at science by studying history. If you're struggling, if you see an athlete, the main things they're struggling with is their mindset. You have to attack that problem head on. Otherwise, nothing changes. So that's where mindset training comes in. What mindset training is versus what it's not. This is not motivational speaking, it's not counseling, it's not therapy. I love all those things. On my Instagram page, I'm watching a lot of motivational speakers, a lot of top athletes, that's great. Also, I was a school psychologist uh, full time before I quit that to start this business with my brother. And I get it, therapy is very important. I tell our athletes all the time, if you're struggling mentally, and you see it nowadays with you know, drugs, um, you know, anxiety, depression, you should absolutely be talking to a therapist. And like you want to let the kids know that as coaches because that can save their life. But what we're talking about now is not so much that as it is mindset training. Look at this as strength training for your mind. That's how I want you to look at mindset training, strength training for your mind. So if I wanted to get stronger legs, you could all tell me a lot of exercises to do, right? You'd say, what? Like, what could I do? Squats. Squats. Someone said lunges, deadlifts, right, leg curls. You could tell me all the leg exercises to do. If I needed to get better at different skills, my technique, you could tell me the drills to do, right? If I wanted to get stronger arms, what can I do? You could tell me all the things to do to get better physically. But if you said to an athlete, if I asked a coach, what, what exercises do I need to do to improve mentally? Like, okay, athletes struggling with confidence, what are the exercises to do? Usually not a lot of people know. Or if we say, okay, this athlete gets really nervous, what are the skills, what are the tools, what are the exercises to help them relax under pressure? Crickets, we don't hear a lot, right? We'll hear take a deep breath, and that's great, 
We should be taking deep breath. That's part of the equation. But there's a lot more to it than that. And these kind of things, like we said, tend to carry over to school and to their future careers. So we've got to start fixing the problem. So just like there's different exercises to improve your legs, your arms, your technique, there's different exercises to improve your confidence. Confidence, we've got an eight-part series on that, how to build confidence, including body language, focusing on your best performances in the past, focusing on your personal strengths, uh, visualizing. There's a lot. Personal affirmations. There's a whole series of confidence-building exercises. Same thing with relaxing under pressure. Same thing. Do they have a relaxation image? Do they know their deep breathing routine? Do they map out what's the worst-case scenario and how they're going to respond to it? Do they know the difference between the fight-or-flight response in their mind and how they interpret the nerves? Because a lot of athletes, it's a lot how you interpret the nerves. Because everyone feels the same thing. Mike Tyson's trainer used to talk about this all the time. He said the difference between the hero and the coward, it's not the way they feel. The hero and the coward feel the same things. It's how do they act? How do they respond? And a lot of the way they respond has to do with how they interpret the nerves. So we all know what it's like to get nervous. What do we think about that? A lot of us think we're scared, we're nervous. Other athletes look at it and they say they're excited. They have the adrenaline pumping, right? They get that extra strength. So we want to redefine what that nervousness feeling means. We get the same fight or flight response. Okay, so it makes sense. My whole point going into that, I'm not trying to go into all these different detours. It's just that we need to know the exercises. Your athletes need to have those tools in their toolbox to relax under pressure. They need to know what to focus on and what not to focus on. Otherwise, you make the same mistake over and over. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So there's different mental, I want you to look at it like this. There's different mental muscles like there's different physical muscles. When we have an athlete start the mindset program, our one-on-one -on -one program, the first thing they do is they fill out the mindset checklist. Break it into eight different mental muscles. Goal setting, mental toughness, relaxing under pressure, staying in the present moment, um, confidence, clarity. And then we rate where they are by answering these questions. We could see exactly where they're mentally strong and where they're mentally weak. And everyone in this room, all of your athletes, it's the same thing every time. There's some things you're really strong at and there's some things you're relatively weak at. And you're only as strong as your weakest link. So we have to identify where our improvement areas are. We have to know that for our athletes to improve. So that's an example of what we're talking about when we say different mental muscles. Okay, next. How many months out of the year are serious golfers playing, working on the technique? That's a silly question. 12, right? And then the same thing with even our, our strength, our conditioning. It should be 12 months out of the year. Our flexibility, our mobility drills, that should be 12 months out of the year. So if we're saying mindset is 50 to 90% of the pie, how many months out of the year should we be doing our mindset? 12 months, right? So it's not, it's not overly complicated, it's just applying what you already know to this. And then like what I said originally, is that it can't just be talking about mindset, it can't just be thinking about it. So as a school psychologist, I needed to learn how do kids absorb information? Right? And you probably all have a sense for this a little bit, but if I'm just speaking to a group of people, which I am, if you're not taking any notes, if you're just listening, what percentage of the information are you likely to retain? What do you think? 10. Yeah. What is it? 10. 10? Close. Five. Five percent. Think about it and really let that sink in. If all you're doing is speaking to your athletes and they're not taking any notes, five percent of the information they're likely to retain after. That's real bad. <laughs> That's real bad. So what does that mean? We need more active teaching methods. 
That's why I say it's important that we get them involved in different activities, different exercises. So I'll take a quick detour for a second, but as an exercise that we do, we say you don't want to focus on rankings, records, seedings, predictions, newspaper box scores. I was the poster boy for all that in high school. I wanted to know what all my opponents were doing. I wanted to know what this team was doing. Some of us fall into that category a little bit. Well, I tell our athletes that that has nothing to do with the way you're going to play out there. That's not going to, that's not going to tell you anything in how you're going to play on the course. That, that's like literally your opponents rank who you're going up against. It has no bearing on the competition at all whatsoever. So we'll have them, we'll bring in newspapers with the team and have them rip it up. We'll have them write down their fears, their doubts, their insecurities, and then in front of all their teammates, they'll rip them up, they'll stand up in front of the group, and they'll say their goals out loud, which takes a lot of mental toughness. And now they've made a commitment to the team that this is the goal I'm looking to improve on. So it's not just lip service. So just like strength training, I can't just think about doing push-ups. Not doing anything, right? Can't just think about doing push-ups. I have to get on the ground, I have to do the push-ups. Same thing with mindset. You can't just listen to the mindset training, you have to be doing the mindset training. So if I say it once, I say it 53 times, you have to do the things we're telling you to do. You know, we all know it's important to have a pre-shot routine, right? Are these athletes doing that before every single shot? They're, you should never take, you should never swing the golf club, never putt without having a plan. It should never be just swinging just to swing. There should always be a plan for every shot and you should be doing your pre-swing pre routine every single time. It'd be the same thing for a baseball player, a pre-at-bat routine, right? A football player, a pre-play routine. For a wrestler, it's a pre-match routine. It's the same thing, but are you doing those things every single time before you compete? And are you practicing it on your own, at home? That's what these athletes need to do. So we set them up with a plan for all those different things. So they have to be doing the exercises that we're telling them to do. So again, back in college, we had the sports psychologists come in, but it was very general. What I wanted to do is I wanted to make it very down-to-earth, very concrete, something that athletes catch on to and they look at it as cool, right? So we said, let's take this. We started wrestling originally as a wrestler, and we said, okay, it's not gonna be sports psychology, it's gonna be wrestling mindset. So made by wrestlers and for wrestlers. And again, we're very blessed to have a lot of success with that. So we applied that same exact model to golf, to tennis, to baseball. Some of you kids that play different sports, so we have all those different sports mindset programs built out. But I could have a room of five different sports playing, and sometimes, like if you wanted your team to be doing the mindset program, and you wanted to join with, let's say, the baseball team, I could say, pull out confidence week three, and the golf language is specific to the golfers, the baseball players, the language is specific to the baseball players. Do you follow? So I could say, everyone pull out confidence week three, 10 different sports and each one has sports-specific language, so the golfers know it's talking directly to them in the situations they're gonna be in. Make sense? That's big, because that's what the kids wanna see. The kids wanna see, now it's highly specialized. Even strength training, you're, you're strength training specifically for your sport. You're doing conditioning specifically for your sport. The mindset's gotta be the same thing. It's gotta be the same thing. So, I'll give you the three big reasons why that I've seen for doing this over the past 11 years, three big reasons why people do mindset training. Number one, the mentorship and the life lessons. Sometimes just hearing this stuff from someone other than a coach, right? That goes a long way. Sometimes, and for the kids, we have a team program, we have an individual program, right? Sometimes hearing it from someone other than the parent goes a really long way. And we have mindset coaches. One of the things you would fill out as a, as, a, as a team coach or as a parent, you would fill out if you're interested in more of a faith-based coach or not, because that's something else we have on the side. So it's, 
it's unrelated to golf mindset, but we do have that ministry on the side called Spiritual Strength. I'm actually about to um, release a book called Building the Total Athlete for Christ. That's real exciting. That's a side project, not exactly related to this, but we do have some mindset coaches that will do more faith-based training with your team or with your kid. So that's an exciting thing. That's, you know, after having pretty serious conversion four years ago for myself, um, I realized we're, you know, we've got to be tackling the total person, spirit, mind, and body. Now, of course, if the team didn't want to do that, if they didn't have any interest, we wouldn't touch it, but it's there if you so chose. Okay, so number one, having the life lessons, the mentorship, you know, having someone, having a mindset coach with your team throughout the year, when there's ups, there's downs, there's drama, right? You have that mindset coach that you can talk to on a regular basis that'll help solve different issues that are going on with the team. So basically what we do with our teams, you have the team in the room, we have 80 mindset coaches all around the country. So we match up a mindset coach with your team who is gonna fit your team schedule. They would be on Skype, right in the background, and they would be live, speaking to the whole group, answering the questions in real time. And it's not just a free flow conversation, it's a systematic program. So we have a golf-specific systematic program where they're doing these different exercises and worksheets on a regular basis. So it becomes part of their training routine. That becomes critical. So number one, those life lessons, the mentors. I had my first mentor when I was 13, my first one-on-one -on -one mentor. And that was great because for me, I wanted to be like him. When all my friends were staying out late, partying, drinking, smoking, getting involved in drugs, I didn't want to be like my friends. I wanted to be like my mentor. So that goes a long way. That's first reason people do mindset training. Second is because they're struggling with one of those golf mindset red flags. They're getting the yips consistently, right? Again, great on the range, can't bring it to the tee. They're doing better, they're, they're playing better when it doesn't count than when it does count. They choke in championship games. How many times do we see it if athletes of all sports, they get into the biggest competition of the season, their eyes are as wide as saucers. They're like a deer in the headlights. They're completely shook. And all that hard work goes out the window because mentally they didn't have it together. So a lot of athletes we deal with, they're struggling with that, right? And then the third reason why that I'd say people do mindset training is because they're already an elite team or they're an elite athlete, but they're trying to take it to the next level and build the gap, widen the gap on their competition. So we have a lot of people that are the very best at what they do, national champs, national champ individuals, national championship teams, but they want to maintain that edge and they want to keep doing something to keep that edge on the competition. So those are the three big reasons, I would say. Great story I could tell you about, the life lessons. I had one kid who came to us when he was in seventh grade, struggling with an eating disorder. And for him, the parents brought, brought him in because he had very serious anxiety. He was a serious perfectionist. And we know, you know, in golf, that's, a, that's an area where a lot of times people do get perfectionistic. And we can't afford to be perfectionistic because it's never perfect, right? Well, the first six months that I worked with the kid, we didn't speak about sports at all. Literally, not at all. We were talking about himself, his self-image, his identity, um, what he believes as a person, overcoming the anxiety. And then six months down the line, he finally said, okay, Gene, I'm ready to talk about sports now. And it seemed like he was, the perfectionism was improving. So he said, okay, great. And then he wound up being a three-time state finalist. Uh, I was the sponsor for his confirmation. He wound up, him and his family came out for my wedding. So it's like you build these relationships with people all around the country that you would have never seen. Right? That's why it's nice coming here to Oklahoma. I was here two years ago and um, now coming back out all the way from New York City. So it's nice. Uh, great story I'll tell you about with someone overcoming those mindset red flags. We had an athlete who um, he placed in the States for the first time as a, as a sophomore. Placed in the States first time as a sophomore, so now his junior year, he's ranked. 
And how many times have you seen this as coaches? They do real well, but they're unranked, and, they, and no one knows who they are. And then all of a sudden, they're a visible name. They have a name in the community, and now they start choking. I can tell you another guy, every time he's, he's like top three in the country, every, all the time, when he becomes ranked one, that's when he starts to choke and lose. And then he drops down to two or three, and then he starts beating those top guys again, and it just keeps going back and forth. Well, this one guy we had, the dad came to me and he said, he's just not enjoying the sport anymore, right? He's putting too much pressure on himself. He's finally ranked in the state. Everyone expects a lot from him. Last year, no one expected anything. What can we do? So I asked him, why doesn't he do our individual program? And every week, he worked with one of our mindset coaches. And then, so this was a wrestler now, before the state semifinals, so now he's in the biggest match of his life. And before, as he's warming up, he's with his coach over on the side, and they're smiling and they're laughing. And I remember thinking, I was up in the stands with my brother, I said, I don't care if he wins or not. Obviously, I wanted him to win, but I'm just happy. He, he hated the sport. He didn't really hate the sport. We know he didn't hate the sport. He just felt the pressure. But biggest match of his life, now he's enjoying the sport. He's laughing, he's talking with his coach, he's smiling. Not only did he win that match, but then he goes on to win the biggest upset in the state finals. So we were happy about that. And just to see someone now enjoy it again is a beautiful thing. Because you see a lot of people's parents, they put a tremendous amount of pressure on them. They go home and all they're talking about is the sport. All they're talking about is, is success. And, and granted, we all want these kids to be very successful. But some of these parents have completely unrealistic expectations for their kids. Or, on the, other end, on the other end, they're enablers, and they just let the kid get away with whatever, and they just spoil the kid, right? So we need to work on all those things. We have to make sure we're addressing those things directly. And then finally, like we said, teams that are at the top, they're either at the cusp, the third group that I was talking about, they're already, they're already at the top. Uh, St. Cloud State, they were ranked two, three in the country every year, Division Two. And then finally, once we started working with them, then the next four out of five years, they were NCAA champions, Division II NCAA champions. But that was a team that they were already at the top. They were already well-known. But it was just, how do we take it to the next level? So that's what we're all about. That's what we do. I'll give you now, especially anyone who's been seeing our emails, we talk about our main lesson, or one of the big things that we do with the teams, we talk about the difference between the predator and the prey mindset. This is our analogy for sports for school, and for life. And it's critical, it affects us as coaches also, in all areas. So, two types of animals, predator and prey. Someone who doesn't know this now, how can you tell the difference just by looking at the animals if they're a predator or prey? What do you think? How can you tell the difference between a predator and a prey just by looking at them? Their eyes. Their eyes, right. Right, so if you think about predator animals, Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right. Lions and tigers and bears, their eyes, are they in the front of their head or on the side? Front. Front, right? Why do predator animals have their eyes in the front of their head? Why do you think? Because they, they've just got one focus. They got one focus, right. They're focused on the prey. They're focusing on eating lunch, <laughs> right? They're focused on their goals, they're focused on things within their control. So we say to all of our athletes, eyes on the front like to hunt. Say it. <clears throat> that was pretty weak for, uh, for, that, for, for what you're saying, but okay, we'll, we'll let you go. Right, eyes on the front like to hunt. Now think about this, prey animals, squirrels, chipmunks, rabbits, are their eyes in the front of their head or on the side? Side. Side, why? Deer, side of their head, right? Why? They're looking. 
Yeah, they don't want to get eaten, right? <laughs> They're focusing on, on what? What's going on around them? They have to. Okay, so what do we say? We say, eyes on the side like to hide. Go ahead. Eyes on the side like to hide. Right, eyes on the side like to hide, eyes on the front like to hunt. Now, what does this have to do with golfing, coaching, you know, school, business, and life, everything? This is a great analogy. So there's no coach under the sun that doesn't tell their athletes, focus on what you can control, don't focus on what you can't control. You got a 15-year-old kid, how do you get that message to stick? This is a great analogy, but literally, we've seen youth right through the Olympics. When you say this to a kid, they just get it. So you can take this lesson to, the, to your kids right away, to your children and to the athletes that you coach. If you want to be a predator on the course, if you want to be a predator in the classroom, if you want to be a predator in business, you need to focus on factors that are within your control. Your effort, your attitude, and your aggressiveness. So that's a good thing to write down. Those are three factors that are always in your control. Sports, school, and life. Effort, attitude, and aggressiveness. You want to burn that into your kids' minds. That's critical. And as coaches, that's real important that you know what you're focusing on because those are the three things that you're going to focus on. Those are the three things that you, you want to reward as a coach. If a kid is showing full effort, if a kid has a positive attitude, and if a kid is being aggressive, they're taking chances, they're going for it. They're, they're playing to, they're not focusing on winning, but they're, they're playing to win, not to lose. They're not holding back, right? So that's what you really want to celebrate with the kids. That's the thing you want to make a big deal about. Prey mindset is focusing on what's going on around you. Even wins and losses. You can't directly control your wins and losses, right? You can't control what you did on the last shot, that's done. You can't control what you're gonna do two shots from now. You have right now, right? The past is history, the future is a mystery, only the present's a gift. So you've gotta focus on the here and now. If you're in the present moment, that's the predator mindset. If you're thinking about the past, think about it. A lot of times, if we're thinking too much in the future, that's when we get anxious. When we're thinking too much about the past, a lot of times that's depression. Well, depression also could be the future because like, there's no hope, right? But either way, too much in the past, too much in the future, that's prey mindset. Records, rankings, seedings, predictions, prey mindset. Who am I paired up against? Prey mindset. What team are we playing against? Prey mindset. It's not directly within your control. So as coaches, we gotta be aware of that because the kids, they might not be, they don't always listen to us, but they're watching us. Your kids are always watching you and they can tell in your behavior if you're just happy if they won versus if they were focused, if they were, you know, great attitude, if they stayed positive the whole time. Effort, did they go all out or did they hold back? Right, if they could have won by more, we should expect them to win by more. Not focusing on the score per se, but we're focusing on them doing the very best that they can, right? Does that make some sense? We gotta do that as coaches. And it's not easy because we wanna celebrate the wins. A lot of times as a coach, we'll say, hey, a win's a win, and we pat them on the back. What's the problem with that? Too focused on the outcome. If a win is a win, what does that mean? That means a loss is a loss. So that's just, so if you just lost, that's it? That's the end? No, we gotta be learning from all of our competitions. So I tell our athletes this, you wanna have a balanced approach anytime you compete. What are three things you did well? What are three things you could improve on? Three things you did well, three things you could improve on. 
something I can show you is, um, after the, after this, we have a great worksheet that we have for our, for our athletes. We have a, a evaluation, a competition evaluation. So after they compete, they can go through and they can see how did they do based on factors within their control. Effort, attitude, and aggressiveness directly related to golf. How did they do? Did they stay in the present moment on this shot? Did they have a pre-shot routine? Did they stay at their tempo? They didn't, they didn't get sucked out of their element by people around them. Right? So those, that's critical that they see that because when you ask a kid how they competed, they're always going to tell you the outcome. The final score, what they placed, um, did they win? That's what they're going to tell you. And what we want to do is we want to train them away from that. We tell our athletes all the time, we never ask our kids if they win or if they lost. So we a lot of times find out, like maybe embarrassingly a week later, oh wow, they won that tournament? That's something, right? Because we don't ask those kind of questions because everyone else is asking that. We need to train the way they're thinking away from outcome and into performance, factors within their control. So that becomes critical. That makes sense? Other things that we have to do with them, knowing who they are, knowing what they believe. That's why sometimes people want to go down the spiritual path too. We're also talking about faith. But we can make that, we can make some of that point, at least we can get you know, some, some of the way there just talking about our identity. So we talk about confidence. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what you believe. You look at the greatest warriors of all time. I mean, you're playing a sport, or even if you're in school or in a business career, you're a warrior. So you've got to study the great warriors, the Spartans, the Aztecs, the Samurai, the US military, right? What do they all have in common? Even the early Christian martyrs, what do they all have in common? Two things. They know what they believe, and they're willing to die for it. Now, in sports, I use those extreme examples that we know what we believe, we're willing to die for it, because most athletes are so worried about losing. They're so worried about making mistakes. Well, if these warriors can go into battle and know that they could lose their lives, and they could overcome that fear, of course, they, they are still afraid of dying, but if they could overcome that fear, if they could fight through that, we could overcome that fear of losing or making mistakes. That makes sense? So identity is so big. So one of the things we have our teams do, they go through the four mindset principles before and after every single mindset session that we do. Before and after every mindset workshop, we go through the four mindset principles. Number one, I'm thankful for the opportunity to play golf. Number two, I'm aggressive and relentless. That means you're playing to win, you're not playing to lose, you're not holding back. Number three, I have no fear of losing or making mistakes. And number four, I never ever give up. I'll say them again, because I know that's a, a lot there. <laughs> so number one is I'm thankful for the opportunity to play golf. Having an attitude of gratitude is so important. When you watch the great athletes after, after any championship competition of any sport, what are they usually saying? I was thankful for the opportunity to play. Also as a psychologist, I learned the opposite of sadness, the opposite of depression is actually not happiness. That surprised me. It's not happiness, it's actually thankfulness. If you look at a lot of the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are praise and thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe King David was onto something there. I think he was, <laughs> right? Well, praise and thanksgiving, if we're giving thanks, what does that mean? If you're thankful, that means you have something. You can't be thankful for something you don't have. Does that make sense, right? What's implicit in gratitude? What's implicit is that I have something. Now think about this, think about the way the media portrays everything. It's the exact opposite. Our TV, advertising, it's you need this, you need that. What's built into that? If you need this, if you have to have that, what is that saying? You're missing something, right? What's implicit to that is you're not enough. You don't have enough. 
Now granted, we all want to get better. We all want to improve. But if we're thinking deep down, it's like, I'm not good enough, I have that hole inside, right? I'm never good enough. So we have to have that attitude of gratitude. I tell the kids all the time, go to any local hospital, any nursing home, there's people who can't move and can't think the way you can. So you have to be thankful for playing, for the opportunity to play. And if you're thankful, you're not gonna be as nervous. That's just a fact. It's like an opposite, it's an inverse relationship. The more thankful you are, probably the less nervous you are. I can tell you the, the most nervous I was, I wasn't thinking about being thankful. I was thinking, I gotta win, I gotta win. Or you wanna impress your coach. You don't want, you know, maybe your dad to say something to you after you compete. You wanna look good in front of your friends. All those kind of things. That's not an attitude of gratitude. So number one, I'm thankful for the opportunity to play golf. Number two, I'm aggressive and relentless. Again, that looks different for every area of your life. In school, that would be you're the person who asks the questions, right? In school, you want to encourage that with your kids. You should be asking for a tutor before your teacher tells you you need a tutor, before your parents tell you you need a tutor. You should be the one going in and asking your teacher for, for extra help. In college, we tell our kids, make sure you're capitalizing on your writing center. You gotta be the one to do it. If you're applying to a certain program, reach out to the coach. Reach out to the director of the department that you're trying to be into. So aggressiveness. Fortune favors the bold. One of the exercises I like to do with the kids, I hold up a $20 bill and I say, okay, who wants the $20 bill? And everyone says, yeah, they're nodding their head. Okay, who wants it? And I just hold it up until about maybe a minute or two go by. And then finally a kid comes up and just snatches it. It's like, okay, there we go. But what's that all about? Fortune favors the bold. People who go after it, people who take chances are probably more likely to be successful. So you want your golfer to be, success, uh, to, to be successful. You want them to be aggressive too. They gotta be asking you questions, you know, at the right time. After practice, they should be the ones staying after, asking questions, trying to get better, searching other materials that are out there, right? Watching YouTube, being a student of the sport. How many kids nowadays do you see are true students of the sport? Studying the history. That would be aggressive. That's an aggressive way to approach the sports. They should be watching video footage. They should be on YouTube. All the, all the um, information is available to them, right? Are they reading the Ben Hogan book? I don't know. Why not? It's there. You should be doing that. So being aggressive. So I'm aggressive and relentless. Number three, I have no fear of losing or making mistakes. And that's what we were saying before. That's a big one that hurts people. I have no fear of losing or making mistakes. And that's why we want these kids saying this every single day. It needs to, we need to pound this message into their heads every day. I have no fear of losing or making mistakes because we tend to be so wrapped up in other people. Instagram, Snapchat, right? The kids, they're always, they're always watching what their friends are doing. And then we say, man, why is my family not like that? Why don't I have a girlfriend? Why am I not that tall, right? No one ever posts a picture when they're having a bad day. It's always when they're in on some tropical island or family vacation, or they just succeeded in a sport and then and they post the picture. So we compare ourselves so much to other people and we want to we want to like portray this persona of ourselves. That's just not true. So we don't want to get caught up in letting other people down. You never want to live for the praise, recognition, pity or approval from anyone else. You want to be self-sufficient in your identity. And a lot of kids don't think about that now. They just go on Netflix, they're playing Fortnite, right? They they're so distracted, they don't think about their identity. So they need to know this, that they don't have a fear of looking bad. Anytime you want to get good at a skill, no matter what it is, in any area of your life, you're going to have to be willing to look like a beginner. You're going to be, have to be willing, you're going to be willing to fall. 
right, and make mistakes. So they got to say this over and over in their head. I have no fear of losing or making mistakes. They need to pound the message into their head. And number four, pretty self-explanatory, I never, ever give up. I never, ever give up. Golf, school, and life. There's no quit in you. None. Right? So they say this over and over again. We've seen athletes, after winning NCAA championships, they're them saying in their interviews. So what a lot of times happens, they get interviewed and they say, I was just thankful for the opportunity to play. I had no fear of losing or making mistakes. In other words, what's going on? They're programmed. They get mental reps. So every time, every time we swing the club, that's a rep. Every time we putt, that's a rep. Just the same thing when we're doing strength training. Every time I bench press, that's a rep. So we have technical reps, we have strength reps. Why don't we do mental reps? Well, we do the mental reps with our teams. That's the whole point. They've got to be saying this every single day so they're programmed into their head. Because what's going to happen? They're going to get in the biggest competition of the season, and they're going to start thinking about winning or losing. And what is their brain going to do? Their brain is going to snap back to what they've been saying every single day. I have no fear of losing or making mistakes. But when they stand up as a group and they say it out loud, it feels more like, like the military or a martial arts dojo. You know, like they're, they're going through their creed. They're going through what they believe. It builds that camaraderie as a team, and now everyone's on the same page. And it helps us as coaches, too, because it's easy for us to, you know, forget that we're thankful. It's easy for us as coaches to just play it too conservative and not really go for it, right? So that's, that's, those are important life lessons for all of us. So when we talk about identity and confidence, the big word there is behave. B-E-H-A-V-E. There's two words trapped inside the word behave. What are they? What are the two words that are in behave? Be and have. Important lesson for confidence. The be always has to come before the have. Okay, so what does that mean? So many people focus on what they want to have. They want to have all A's. They want to have a million dollars. They want to have an NCAA championship. They want to have everything they want to have. If you want to be successful and know who you are, the first thing is you've got to be. You've got to be the person who is going to be capable of having those things. Right? So you have to be, if you want to be an all-A student, you have to be the person that spends extra time on homework, that sees a tutor, that asks questions in class, that sits in the front, sits in the front row. Right? You gotta be that person. If you want to be, if you want to get into better shape, we're thinking so much about I want to weigh this or I want to look like that. Well, that's what you want to have. We've got to first focus on the person we have to be. I have to be consistent with my exercise. I have to be consistent with my nutrition, right? I got to build, I got to structure my life around, you know, the gym and around my, my eating schedule, right? Those kind of things. So focus on the person you want to be. You want to be a champion, you need to live like a champion. That's identity. And we tell our athletes, they got to know that. That's why they got to know who they are. What is it that they believe? What are their values? Where do they draw the cutoff on what time they go to sleep? What is their stance on drinking, partying, drugs? I know that what it should be, of course it should be no, right? But we want them writing the stuff down. We don't leave any of that to chance. Because most kids just don't, either they're not thinking about it or they're definitely not writing it down. I want them to write down on one of our exercises we do with them. Everyone on the team, we choose accountability buddies in our mindset program. Everyone on the team gets an accountability buddy and we write down in golf, in school, and in life, three good resolutions, three areas of improvement for the kids, and three good resolutions. They keep track of that with their accountability buddy, and they meet every single week to make sure they stay on track so they're improving in all areas. 
they got to do it. They got to do it. It's so important. Otherwise, nothing happens. So they have to have that identity down. They got to know who they are. So we tell them, if I had a $100 bill, see, money works a lot of times, this kind of stuff. $100 bill. Who wants the $100 bill? Everyone puts their hand up. All right, well, I'm not going to let anyone come up this time. But, but I have the $100 bill. I say, okay, I crumbled up. Right? Who still wants the $100 bill? Well, who would want that here? Show of hands. If I crumbled up the $100 bill, who would still want it? Right. Why? Even though it's all crumbled up? Still worth $100. What if I threw it on the floor? Crumbled up and it's on the floor. Still $100. Now, what if it was all dirt and mud? If I started smearing it into the ground, who still wants the $100 bill? Probably everyone. Right? So what's the lesson there? Intrinsic value. It still has intrinsic value. It's still worth $100 no matter what I do to it. Except maybe lighting it on fire. So, <laughs> short of a chemical change, it's still worth $100. Right? So what's the point there? If that piece of paper is worth $100, how much are we worth? Right? And that's why a lot of times the lessons do become more spiritual. That we're made in the image and likeness of God. That that is so important. That if we know that, Society's not telling them that, we sure know that. Society's not building that message in. So no matter what happens, no matter how many times we make mistakes, we get laughed at, we get made fun of, anything happens, you still have, you are still secure in your identity. You know who you are. So, and that's why it's so important. They know their values and they're writing it down, exactly what they're telling themselves. What are they gonna be thinking? And what are they gonna be doing when their friend asks them to have a drink? What time are they gonna be going to sleep? How are they dealing with their relationships? A lot of times, a significant other, right? Girlfriend, boyfriend, that destroys more athletic careers than almost anything. Maybe second injuries, right? Well, they need to know how they're gonna be handling those relationships. So we make them write that stuff down. That becomes part of the mindset program. As basic as that is, kids are just not thinking about it. And they're not gonna think about it unless we force them to take time to think about it. That makes some sense? So it's so important. So we always say constantly, it's, it's being the total package. You want to make sure for your team or for your kid, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, at the end of your career, you did everything you possibly could have to make sure that you reach your goals, right? Not that it's all about, it's not all about the goals, it's the person that you're going to become. And you want to do everything else that you can. You want to make sure you left no stone unturned. You did everything you possibly could to reach that goal, right? And it's go back to those mindset red flags, right? If we don't change it, we keep having the same problem over and over. Right? I like deadlifting. I think I talked to someone about powerlifting before in the elevator up. Someone was talking about powerlifting. Deadlifting. If I have 520 glutes, 500 hamstrings, but only a 480 grip, what am I pulling? 480. Until I catch my grip up with my lower back and my glutes. Right? So it's the same thing. If we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. We have to improve those weaknesses. So we say it's 50 to 90% mental. We gotta be training 50 to 90% mental, right? Training hard and training smart. Like we said, sometimes it's the best players that need this the most because they have the most pressure on them. So we say it always, golf, school, and life, it's our mindset that makes the difference. So I guess we'll open up the board for some questions. You know, we hit on a lot of things right there. Anything specifically we could talk about that you're seeing with your teams or with your kids, anything we could help with. What time are we at, actually? 40 minutes about? Almost 50. Do you work with the Navy SEALs at all? No, no. We've had Air Force pilots that we're working with. We did, so we had this one Air Force pilot. He failed, or he was going into the Air Force. He failed his first two flight assignments or whatever they were, whatever they were called. He, if he failed the third time, he would be out. So we started working with him on 
relaxing under pressure when he was up in the air, and um, then he wound up passing it the third time. But um, yeah, we didn't apply it anymore. We actually have an academic mindset curriculum too, because some of the kids they do. We you know we see one of our wrestlers um, does really well in the practice SATs, chokes in the real SATs. The only problem is if he wants to get into an Ivy League school, which is his goal, you got to do well in the real SATs. So it's just it's the same thing. You're applying the same lessons to that. So yeah. Sports psychologists use the term flow, and a yeah. lot of times when they interview an athlete afterwards, they said it just happened automatically after a great performance. Yeah. Do you see that as well? Oh yeah. With your athletes. Oh yeah. So we'll have we'll have athletes do is we'll have them write down. We talk about consistency, right? We said consistency in the very beginning. In order for a kid to be consistent, they have to know what they were thinking when they played their best and their worst. So what they'll have them do is we'll have them write down. It's the second exercise we do with them. Write down your three best performances. What exactly were you thinking before and during those performances? Write it down. We have to write it down. Be as detailed and specific as you can. Then on a separate sheet of paper, three worst performances. What were you thinking before and during those, those competitions? And what are the common themes? So you're trying to find the common themes of your best performance, common themes of your worst performance. And what do you think happens when they hold those papers together? Two totally different mindsets. <laughs> Completely different. It's like there's two different people. And I guarantee if you go back to think about when you play, it's probably the same thing. You could do that for yourself just like it would work for your athletes. Three best competitions, three worst competitions, and what were you thinking? As detailed and specific as you could get. And once you see that, here's the secret, not a big secret, focus more on the first page and focus less on the second page. And it's almost entirely the predator mindset versus the prey mindset. When you're thinking about all these extra variables, when you're thinking about who you're competing against, when you're thinking about the magnitude of the moment, usually you do worse. Now there are like maybe one in 20 guys athletes in general, one in 20, that maybe they can make it into a bigger deal, like they really heap the pressure on themselves and they do better, if that works for you, I would never tell you not to do it. Keep doing what works for you, right? But most people, most of the time, when we make a competition special, we do worse. We make a test special, we do worse. We make a job interview special, we do worse. If we're asking someone out on a date, and we're like, man, she's way out of my league, we're gonna probably do worse. Okay, so what I tell our athletes, for most people, most of the time, treat everything important, but nothing special. Okay, everything's important, but nothing special. That's why every time you're gonna hit, every time you're gonna strike the ball, you gotta, you gotta strike the ball with a purpose. You never just hit the ball to hit the ball. There's always a purpose. You always go through your pre-shot routine. So if everything is the same, then when you get in the championship, you just do what you always do. Be yourself. I can't tell you to be yourself if that's not what you're doing every day in practice. So it makes some sense? All right. What else? What else? Yeah. How do you deal with kids that are really like poor, they don't have a vision? How do you start to give them the vision? Yeah, we gotta know what motivates them. So first of all, what are their goals? And if they have a purpose. Big thing with goal setting, your purpose is actually more important than your goal. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, Goals are important, don't get me wrong. You got short-term goals, you got to have long-term goals. It's like a five-part series for us. So we'll have all of our athletes, we want them to write down their goal. You're 90% more likely to reach your goal that's written down on paper, right? Also, now, if you, you ever see um, a lot of teachers, maybe some of you do this, you have dream boards for your kids. That's important too, because when you see your goal, it accesses a different part of your brain. So we want to have them either make a dream board or write, or you know, draw a picture of themselves achieving their goal, something like that. 
Uh, we like to have the athletes stand up in front of their group and say, this is my name and this is what I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to do this. Because that takes a lot of mental toughness and a lot of courage. Um, but I think you're kind of saying more, how do you take someone who's not motivated? It doesn't have the goals. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, so seeing what their purpose is, what do they want out of life? And that's why we do ask those questions. A lot of the stuff we talk about is highly performance specific, right? How do you bring out your best when it means the most? But a lot of times it is those life lessons. What do you want to do? What's important to you? You know, what's your faith? What are your morals? What are your values? What do you, why do you think you're here? And so once we're saying this to the athletes and it's coming from another like mentor figure, like an older brother, right? They're more likely to open up a little bit we we'll ask them, everyone's got to know their motivation buttons. We all have buttons, maybe you don't realize this, but we all have things that motivate us. Certain songs, certain quotes, certain movies, certain YouTube videos. You've got to know your motivation, video, uh, your motivation buttons. Same thing, we all have things that help us relax and calm down. Certain songs, certain quotes, certain people help you calm down. You've got to know what your relaxation buttons are. You all know your anger buttons, right? They're your pet peeves. <laughs> we all know our anger buttons pretty well. Well, you've got to know your relaxation buttons just as well. You need to know your motivation buttons just as well as you know your pet peeves. Um, that's a very short answer to all this stuff, but obviously, you know, digging in, taking time, and making mindset training just a part of what you're doing. So it's not just like a one-time presentation kind of thing. Right, so that's my goal for this, where this is, this is the, the, um, the impetus, this is the start of now getting your team to the next level getting that mental edge in golf, school, and life. But it takes time, just like anything else, right? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna all of a sudden become a great player overnight. It takes time. You put time in on the technique, you put time in on your physical attributes, you put time into the mental side. All right, we'll stick around for a little bit after. Thank you very much. And that is a wrap from today's podcast. I'm Gene Zanetti from Winning Mindset. Make sure you guys go to our website. Make sure you go to zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you buy the book. The ebook is great, excellent information, represents some of the great information that we've learned from top athletes, working with some of the top teams and individuals all across the country. Go to our website, zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you get the ebook. Also, Make sure as an individual, you sign up for the one-on-one -on -one free trial consultation. That's the one-on-one -on -one free trial consultation with one of our mindset coaches. The best results always come from one-on-one -on -one attention, whether it's strength training, whether it's technique, or whether it's mindset. One-on-one -on -one is always the best. Thanks for staying with us. Make sure you join us next time for the next episode. Mindset makes the difference. Have a great day.